one, two, three, four, five. Welcome back to the TMCJ podcast. We are on episode 91. I was... <laughs> Blue's making fun of me now, because as I was doing that count-in, I was just making random symbols with my hand. I wasn't just even... Just throwing up the, that symbol, you know, casually. Yeah, do a little of this. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we... <laughs> We've got another episode where um, I think we're just going to be talking topics because yeah, it's been two weeks. We got stuff yeah, it's a surprisingly positive segment this is going to be, considering how hard we struggled for positive things last week. Was it last week? It was, well, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Um, but no, there's just some nice things that have been going on this week, so... Actually, before, us. before you say your positive topic, I'm just positive thing about life i'm loving my new job still hmm just just a little positivity right there off the bat yeah it's been it's been wonderful weather well it's been boiling fucking hot weather it has been pretty but i'd rather that than it being hurricanes and people not being able to get places because trains are off the rails and stuff like that yeah um wow i already made it dark didn't i shit yeah just okay Uh, okay, yes. Positivity. Something I found out about literally today, which I just thought was really cool, and I think, Kaiser, you might be interested by this. Mm. There is an app. Actually, do you, you don't have an iPhone, do you? No. I have I, I have two Android phones. One that's from my work, and one that's mine. Right. Well, I don't know if it's on the Android or not. Um, there is an app where you can put all of your all of your available Lego blocks, just scatter them on the floor, take a photo, and it will tell you, it'll tell you a whole bunch of things that you can build with the blocks that you've got. I, I need to look, you're, you're going to send me what this app is. I yeah. want this app. So this, it, go on. I recently went, went home, you know, fireworks were going on, 4th of July and all that. And I was looking through my parents' place because, as I've said previously in the podcast, buying a house. And there's a mm. bunch of furniture and stuff in the attic. I'm like, this is going to save me having a furnished place. Tons of Legos I saw up there. Like, tons. of I probably have thousands and thousands of Lego bricks just either constructed into something or loosely in buckets at my parents' place. Mm. I might need a and Lego And now you room. can make something of them. Yeah. My, my first apartment coming out of uh, college... In my first apartment, you know, not as a student, I actually had a Lego table in my living room. It, it was like, it was a ta- it, you could put a tabletop over it so it would be a normal table. You take it off and it's just the, the Lego surface yeah. so you can build stuff on it. Put like a glass sheet on top of it. Yeah, it, it wasn't a glass. So yeah, it was a wooden thing that goes over the Legos and that would slot in and turn it into a normal table. But you take that right. off and then it's just the actual Lego surface that you can build on. Hmm. Um, I love that thing. And it would be cool. a very relaxing thing. I'd have like, you know, a Sunday afternoon or something, have nothing to do, just pull the top off the table, build Lego for an hour. It's very relaxing. Very nice. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I did, I've played Lego in a very long time, but that app seems, sounds just ingenious. Uh, yeah, you use an AI to work out what blocks you've got, and then it just goes through a whole fuck ton of uh, different creations have been put out there. I don't know how good it is because I haven't personally used it myself, but the concept behind it sounds ingenious. Do you know what the name of the app is? Uh, let me just 
I did write it down. It's called Brickit, as in B R I C K I T, huh. all one word. See, um, I do. I do want to just one one mild correction. You have played Lego by proxy fairly recently. There's a Lego Tie Fighter sitting right up there. True. Well, I don't even know if it counts as me. I wasn't even helping with the instructions. I was just chatting shit <laughs> while you built Lego. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that was a really, really fun uh, podcast. Mm. It wasn't a podcast, it was a stream. It was a right? stream, but we, we uploaded it both to YouTube and to RSS, so it went out as a podcast. Uh, I see, so all those people that couldn't actually see what you were doing must have been fucking ripping their dicks off. <laughs> I did put in the description that I, I put a warning in there that there was a visual element, and if you wanted to see that, go to YouTube. <laughs> Whenever I hear there's a warning in the video, I'm like, okay, there's going to be like nudity or swearing or something. No, no, no. You're missing out on Lego right now, guys. This is a very serious thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. Um, yeah. That's really cool. No, I used to, um, I used to go out with someone who collected, who was a, a Lego collector. Hmm. And they, don't get me wrong. It, it, it was quite incredible. Um, but from what I understood, it was also a very expensive hobby because Lego it's not continuously puts out new collectible content. Um, and gone. Like I just so story from my my childhood because I I loved Lego as a kid, but mm. again because of how expensive it was, it, it you know it wasn't something that I could indulge in very often. I remember, like, there was this Lego monorail that I really wanted. It was, like, this space-age monorail. It was really fucking cool. And I remember, like, you know, begging my mom for it at the... It was, like, a Toys R Us or something like that. Mm. And this was, like, the the first financial talk I got as a kid. I'm, and she was like, you know, okay, this is how much this costs. This is how many hours your dad is going to have to work if we buy this. Like, yeah. And um, I, I stopped begging her for it. But they did end up getting it for me for Christmas that year. So, but I had to wait like a few months. But it was yeah, I no, just, that, that's fair. That's but, very fair. I mean, yeah. I'm surprised you got it in the end because I wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was months and months later. Like, yeah. yeah. It, but it was that was my big Christmas present that year was that Lego monorail set. Mm. So it's not not a cheap hobby. No, I mean um, that, well, that Lego Tie Fighter was, I think, like fifty bucks or something like that. That's the thing. So. When I was growing up, Star Wars Lego was all the rage. And frankly, mm. I can't blame them because the things that you could make looked so fucking cool. It was almost cooler than the actual goddamn films. Um, and there were these mini packs that they were releasing. And it was I think there was six of them in the collection. And then if you collected all six, they came with bonus parts, which allowed you to make a secret seventh one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I and remember that. Oh, that was my fucking crack. Um... So and so, I got one like every two weeks or a month or something, and yeah, it's it great. Something that this is going to be like an indulgence, and maybe we'll have to do another one of those streams on it if I do get this. That Tie Fighter was a compromise because what I actually wanted to get was one of the like the big ass like ATAT Walker, mm, um, mm. but it's it's an eight hundred dollar Lego kit. 800. 800. I thought I was going to say 80, 80. I thought you were going to say. Because that's expensive. No. When you're a kid, $80 this, or £80 pounds or whatever is a lot. really expensive. Yeah. I, I still remember, by the way, that in back in... This was in the 90s. That monorail kit was 175 bucks. I still remember the price of it to this day. 
Um, but but yeah, so the the eight, it's one of those proper like collector's edition ones where it's extremely detailed. It's like a few thousand pieces, and yeah. it's like this. People who are you know listening or watching can't actually see this, but I'm I'm holding my. It's probably for those in metric about half a meter tall or in feet it's probably like you know, close to two feet tall it, yeah one it's, and a, half, two feet. it's a big kit like yeah. and so it makes sense that it's that expensive it also um it just very... replaces your dog <laughs> <laughs> but the reason i didn't end up getting that one when we were doing this i have no i would have had nowhere to put it literally mm. like i'm already running out of space in this place but now i'm thinking about it again because i'll have a little bit extra space but the reason I'll have extra space is because I'm buying a house, which means I'll also have less money. <laughs> so I don't know if I can actually afford to get it now that I have the space for it. This this catch twenty two. Yeah, God, things that you could do. The problem with uh, getting a house that ha- you you go to get a house and you're like, oh, there's this. It has so 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 much space in it, and the problem with that is the same problem you have when you're like. Oh, I got a job, and it's not many hours, and it pays a decent amount. Yeah, but that means the hours that you're not working, and you're going to be spending that money a lot faster. And the same thing with a house, where it's like, okay, if I've got all this space, I need to spend money to fill it. <laughs> that is an uh, issue. I, I've, I don't know if I've, I, I can't remember if I showed you it, but I've made an Excel spreadsheet that has a shopping list and a list of items that I know are either at my parents' place or at my place that I want to transfer in there. Yeah. And then I've I've created like a color-coded priority list to say like okay, this is the stuff I can long-term save up for and get for the house. This is the stuff I need yeah. immediately. Like and the immediate stuff is like a Wi-Fi router or like, you know, uh a chair, mm-hmm. uh toiletries, um stuff like that. And then the the long-term stuff is like, you know, um you know, shelving for like, you know, display shelving or like Oh, display shelving for like yeah. collectibles, right? I think you meant yeah. like just because shelving providing provides more space typically. Yeah, so. yeah, things that are higher, like you know, uh, like um, like a bookcase or like th- these are like the medium priority things, like a bookcase, yeah. a dresser, a bureau, um, a even bureau. a bed, uh, a bureau, like a chest of drawers, I think. Right. Um, but even like a bed bed frame, I don't need that right away. I have a futon mattress in the other room. I'm planning on just bringing that there, and that's where I'll sleep. <laughs> You know, until I yeah. get like an actual bed in it. So, bed, even a bed is. Well, you've lower got priority. a bed, haven't you? I do, but it's staying here for. Oh a yeah, while. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also so I I have a king size bed here, mm. um, which honestly I I got one just because I was like I've never had a, a bed that big. I want to get a big bed. I literally big have beds maybe are great. It, it's great, but I've only used like a third of it for most of the time because. It, I don't take up a lot of space. <laughs> See, that's a problem that I have that you don't. <laughs> that I'm yet to find a bed that I don't poke out the end of. Mm. God, you need what what they're they're referred to as uh, California kings. So it's a king size bed that's longer. Ah. And so you you might be. You know what you need. You need a really nice like deep red leather chaise long a what chaise long i don't know what it is uh imagine like a sofa with one armrest cut off oh fainting couch 
Is that what it's called? That that's because, what I yeah. that's what I've heard it called. I think it's what they, they typically have in like a psychologist skits. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard it referred to. <laughs> Those things are great. I think I think <laughs> I faint, I think fainting couch is kind of an outdated term for it, but that's what I know it as. Right. I, I yeah, it's a bit it's things. a bit less fancy than Shizlong. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd love to have something like that. Yeah. Oh, one one thing that's on the wish list for like far down the line. Hmm. It's a coffee table. It's also a Bluetooth speaker, a fast charging port, and a mini fridge. And it's got LED lights. I like the fact that it's all contained, but any time I hear Bluetooth, I think it's a con. Like, Bluetooth is so... Like, you could just fucking stick a, a, a £10 Divoom Airbeat speaker to the side of it and it's a bluetooth speaker now it's true but i've 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 done some reading about this it's actually a fairly high quality speaker but the thing that i I could care less about the bluetooth thing or the fast charging thing it's got some you know usb ports on there and stuff Mm. the big thing for me was it's a coffee table with led lights and a mini fridge inside it like it's just got a drawer that you pull out Everything's got LED lights these days. Your mouse, your, everything through the computer has got LED lights. <laughs> look, and behind, look behind me, I've got. Yeah, and you're you're falling into you're being you're becoming a stereotype, Kaiser. That's what I'm saying. You're becoming a stereotypical nerd, <laughs> which actually, you know what? We're both massive fucking nerds, so I guess that's yeah. not such a big thing. But <laughs> branch out, be creative, do something different. Like you, you, I, I, when I think of Kaiser. I think of old-fashioned, like, hunting lodge. That's... that's what That I, kind of style. I am planning on theming my office kind of like that. I'm looking at the desks I'm looking at are, like, you know, wood-top desks, like, rough cut. I've got, like, an old, like, dark wood bookcase that I plan on moving in there from... That, that's yeah. in my old bedroom from when I was a kid. Um, believe me, that's well, the style I would go with. Maybe even preferably Miami cartel style. The black and the gold. I mean, it's literally what I'm wearing right now. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what you're wearing. But I mean, like, the the, the room around, uh, you know, like a piano in one corner that you've never learned how to play. But I don't know, you oh. can hire someone to come in and play something. Dude, you know, the like, when we watched Scarface, his office? Hmm. I would totally, like, that would be my, I would love to have an office like that. Well, you've seen, you've seen the, um, Payday 2's rendition of his office. Yeah, I have. That is exact, that, that is like, yeah, that's some good shit. <laughs> but that, that's like life goals. That's down the road. Oh, yeah. Like, when you got this, that mansion in Miami, yeah. <laughs> right, right now, like, I'm not planning on, on, like, repaint, right away repainting or doing anything like that. For the time being, mm. it's just gonna, I'm gonna do what I can with furnishings to make it my own. Yeah, because event this this is not a ha- the house I plan to spend the rest of my life in. It's a house I plan yeah. to live in, either sell or rent out later down the line. And um, for the time being, just chill. Well, for me, the, the the three things I kind of want that are absolutely unnecessary. The three things that I want, and that is a a room to stream in slash recording. Yep. Uh, a room to work in, like an office, mm. and a room to do just have just game related stuff in. So board games, maybe a pool table, um, stuff like that, a drinks cabinet, things like that. 
realistically, if I'm lucky, I'll get one room to do all three of those things at the moment. That, that's about what I'm aiming for, is that office room. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm putting so much mental planning into what it's going to look like, because mm. it's going to be the stream and record room. It's going to be my work office room, and it's probably going to be my, like, play board games and have a drinks cabinet room. Yeah. But, like, as I get further in life, hopefully, I'll, I'll, it'll split into one room for the office, one room for the streaming and games. And then if I ever get so lucky as to have room for each of them, then fucking fantastic. But at the moment, I don't think I've got room for any of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, right, life goals. Right now, that, that's what I've been doing for the last few years, is this space right here, this section of my home, is mm. my, it's my living room, it's my office, it's my playroom. kitchen. The kitchen's over there. That's separate. But it's part of the same room, really. Yeah, that's true. Actually, my condo is just one giant L shape. It's a studio-esque flat. It is, yeah. It's just, it's got two separate rooms. One for the bathroom and one for the bedroom, but everything else is one continuous thing. Yeah. Which, honestly, I lived in student accommodation for, was it two years? I have a very bad memory. And that was literally one room that had my bed in it, it had a TV, it had a sofa. Honestly, that was fucking heaven. <laughs> I, I won't lie, I really kind of miss... Yeah, because in college, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, you know, you, the first year, it was a, a small dorm room, and me and my room, yeah, we made the most out of it. A little toilet connected. We, we put, like, a double riser on my bed so we could put, like, a futon couch underneath it to add a little bit of extra space. Hmm. Um, and that I, way, much like you do at the moment, you can move stuff around on a whim, and it takes, like, an hour, and your whole apartment's different. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's what I do. It's what I've done to keep the space kind of fresh. Like mm. I've right now, I've got my TV right over there, which kind of subdivides the room. It makes it seem like there's a, a, a study area and then there's a living room area. And I've done that with my couch before, and yeah, I've moved everything around. But I mean, that wouldn't yeah. work so well, I feel like, if there were two people living there. Because oh, you need not. space. You need your own rooms, kind of thing. Yeah. Th this is this is not the kind of this is very much like a single person's uh, like living space. Yeah. Th this is not the kind of I mean unless you are like really 100% happy being together all the time, this is not the kind of living space that that you would want to have two people in. Yeah. But that being said, like, I got used to, in college, I, I always had, like, a ton of roommates, because my freshman year, I, I had one roommate that, well, he got kicked out, but then I had another roommate after that, and then second year, I had two roommates, and then one roommate for the, the two years after that. I liked living living with other people, but I think yeah. I've, as life goes on, you kind of grow out of that. Well, but even then, you, you weren't, like, sleeping in the same room as them, kind of. Sorry, that, that's kind of what I meant. You're like, thinking of, like, you yeah, you're thinking your of, like, own. a couple yeah essentially oh uh, yeah so we we were sleeping in the same room but different beds obviously because it was it was a college it was, it was a college dorm room <laughs> no i i didn't i didn't cuddle juan oh, <laughs> oh god oh uh, yes no i can't say that um anyway what was your um what was your what was your topics we i've spent the first 20 minutes talking about my first topic yeah, so this is this is interesting. It, I mean, it 
it segues nicely because it's also about nerdy shit. Um, so I don't. I, I should preface this by saying that I was never a comic book person. Like I didn't. I didn't give it. I, I knew who Batman was. I watched the Batman animated series when I was a little kid. Um, mm-hmm. But I was never like into superheroes or comics really yeah. until like the the whole like when Iron Man came out. That was kind of my first foray into un- foray into understanding like. And you mean the movie Iron Man? Yeah. I mean the movie Iron Man. Yeah, sorry, the one in two thousand eight. But I've kind of like I've warmed to it a little bit. The uh, the the series Invincible, which Amazon released a series about. Um, I watched it, loved the first season, read the comics. The comics are. On, in my opinion, better than the, the actual... That's the, the father-son anime that you've spoken yeah. about in previous podcasts. Yeah, the, the yeah. think, Mark, think! <laughs> the, the meme. Have you, you've seen the meme? I just remember the, the, the you telling me about the train. Oh, yeah, that that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, it it's a very well-written first season. It's so good. Yeah. But I'd argue the comic is even better. And the comic... I've read the entire comic series almost twice now because i felt a bit like just a hankering to read it again because the second season hasn't come out of the series on amazon so it's like oh, i'll watch i'll read through it again and it still holds up it's it's the first comic book that i've ever read the whole way through if you don't count like manga right um, which i don't I, I see those as two very different things different styles almost um but that was a long-winded thing to say from what I've heard, because I follow a lot of people on YouTube who talk about, like, entertainment. Like, people talk about video games, people talk about, you know, movies, comic books, stuff like that. And one of these people, who was very much into comics, hmm. um, was getting kind of, like, fed up with the state of Marvel and DC in particular. And how just the writing has gone downhill, the... Um, the artwork and like talent has gone downhill they've gotten just it 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 used to be that comics even if they had like a political message it was kind of intelligently woven into the story like it it was more subtle now it's just beat you over the head with the giant political club um Mm. marvel from what i understand is worse than this again this is all me getting the second hand from people that i i follow and watch yeah. Anyway, one of these guys, he decided, fuck it, I'm making my own comic book company. He's making his own universe. And nice. so the guy invested like 200K, bought a warehouse, hired some part-time staff, contracted like a printing company. He wrote the story and has like two artists doing the the drawing and the, the color work and stuff. Yep. And then he started a pre-order campaign for it. So it's not like a Kickstarter. It was actually like, do you want to pre-order this book? He's selling it for like 35 bucks for the first issue, which it's a fairly, it's not just like a short comic. It's like a 96 page book. To be fair, any first issue of a comic, I feel like it's going to go for quite a bit of money. It's also like a startup. So he's like, they need to recoup the money they put into it. Mm. So the, the person that his, his handle on YouTube, I think is young Ripa 59 or something like that. That's a stupid name. Go on. It. Yeah. I think it was probably one of those people who made like a YouTube account and didn't really just like, oh, I'll just put this and then I'll put my yeah. my favorite number or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, he so he starts the campaign and he's calling, he's making his own like universe. So like, you know, they call it the the Marvel, the Marvel or the DC universe or like the Marvel yeah. Cinematic Universe. He's calling it the Ripperverse, which nice. honestly I think sounds like a really cool name. And so the he's got the the Ripperverse. Honestly, the Muskverse. <laughs> 
He's got the ripiverse.com as the website. So he's not even yeah. using like Kickstarter or anything like that. And day one of the campaign, they, they were aiming for $100,000 in sales to, as, a, as a start off. Mm-hmm. And I think $200,000 in sales, they could recoup their losses. And they had a couple other things like, hey, we'll, we'll hire more people if we get this level and this level and this level. They hit a million dollars in sales day one. Yeah. I checked earlier this morning. They're over $2 million in sales. And it's five or six days in. And it just... And this this was the thing that kind of like... I was looking at the... I, I, bought, I bought it, by the way. I bought... The, there was a couple stuff you could like buy trading cards you could buy the book you could buy the book with an alternate cover you could buy a poster yeah. a t-shirt i just bought the first book because okay. so i, I book put, or comic like comic. is it it's okay a, i was gonna say is it something you're gonna frame no you they did have one where you get two copies one to collect and one to read but i'm not i just want to read it so it's something okay. that I'll, I'll read see if it's any good i might keep supporting if it is um, but it's going on. It, it looked like it'd be something nice to have on a bookshelf too, because it's it's like not like a thin comic book. It's actually like a right. That's why I'm calling it more of a book than a. But it is a yeah. comic. Uh, anyway, uh, it's been like a crazy amount of success for it, and I just I think it's such a positive thing because I, I was looking through their website and they actually have a code of ethics, and one of the first things in their their code of ethics is like you know um respecting their customer which i think is they're, they're doing that as a direct reaction to how much like um yeah hold on I, I, let me let me pull it up a code of ethics towards the kind of things that they'll put in the comic or the way that they'll treat people the the way that they'll treat people so here here's i'm gonna read verbatim from the website because okay. i just i feel like this is such they're at 2.2 million now by the way um I, I think this is such a rare thing in entertainment now like companies actually respecting the customer respecting the audience respecting the fans mm. so this is what it says <clears throat> respect the customer we this is there there's a whole a lot more than this but this is one i want to read we want you invested in this brand and everything that comes from it ripperverse comics is not entitled to your money and we must earn your support it's not on us as the creators to produce something that you find of value. Sorry, it's on us as the creators to produce something that you find of value and can remain invested in. It's impossible to please everybody, but we hope there's a book or character that you look forward to keeping up with. The success of this company will be largely dictated by our ability to keep the customers interested and satisfied. We are not oblivious to this. Respect goes both ways and we will honor our side of the deal. Okay, can I say something quickly? Sure. The other day we were talking about here is the storm patch notes, mm-hmm. and I read out to you what those patch notes were, and I said, okay, there's a bunch of really positive words in this um, four or five paragraphs. Yeah. And what it boils down to is, we're not going to put any effort into maintaining this game, but it'll still be available. Yeah. I feel like now that's that's the the position of someone who's got a working game that people love already. It's a safe bet. What I feel like you just read out is the equivalent for a startup, and it basically says the exact same thing. That is to say, we really care what you think about, and we're going to do our best goddamn job. 
Uh, yeah. I hope you like our product. Keep buying our thing. <laughs> it, it's why I think that's a fair criticism. And this is my thinking. Having listened to what this person has said in the past yeah, and their opinions on basically the way you and I reacted to that um, statement from Blizzard about here's oh, the Oh, it was a lot worse than what you just wrote out, by the way. Oh, I know, I know. Just, just for, for other people. Yeah. But, so the way we reacted to that statement put out by Blizzard, I've seen this, this person who founded this company reacting that way to similar statements from the comic book industry. Okay. And so based on that, I'm more inclined to believe this person. That being said... I always maintain a healthy level of skepticism, which is why yeah. I didn't like buy more than I'm going to buy the first book. If it turns out that that's an honest and sincere statement and the, the story's good, I'll probably buy the next one too and keep, yeah. keep supporting it as long as that statement does appear to be sincere. Here's how I, I think the perfect statement goes in that instead of saying, we are going to do everything we can to listen to the audience. You get rid of that for a start. And what you replace it with is we have listened to the audience and that's why we have made these changes which are solid. They are already out in the public. You can see them for yourself. Here's our proof. Here's our credentials. Here's why you should trust us. Love our shit. Yeah. And I think that... But that only works if you're an established brand, if you've already produced something. This is the something, yeah. This is the very first thing they've produced. Okay. So at this point, I have no reason to distrust that statement. I've I like the person from what I've seen in the past seems to be someone with integrity. It seems to be someone with genuine passion for okay. you know the craft. And we'll see. If this comic book comes out and it's actually well written and it's got compelling characters, it's interesting to, to read, then, you know, only then when they, if they ever deviate from that, that's when, um, you know, it comes, we might have to <laughs> go to a statement like that where they, they say they need to make changes. But I agree, if, if a company or a brand or some kind of medium has been doing something shitty, they can put out statements all day and night, but until they actually do something... Yeah. Like, do something first, and then make the statement. Yeah, talk about the successes that you've made, not the ones that you will do. Yeah. As much as I am still bitter at the creators for No Man's Sky, they're an example of doing it right. Where it, yes. they shut the fuck up, they fix their mistake, and then they re-engage with the community. Yeah, and in hindsight, I'm less... Now that we know about more about the circumstances that surrounded that terrible time, uh, where it turns out that the the person in charge of the the game development who has no actual training in speaking to media, yeah, was just became the media manager overnight. Yeah, I have a level of sympathy for him, and on top of that, he absolutely made sorry the company as a whole made the the morally correct decision, and it's normally the hardest decision to make is the morally one, Yeah, to keep working with no new benefits. Yeah. And, that, uh, that and that's is, the kind of... Yeah. So gone. No, no, you're right. That, that's, the, that's the right way to do it. Um, I don't know if it's the right way to do it, but it is the sorry. way 
that restores my faith in humanity. I should I should rephrase that. That is the right thing to do when you find yourself in that situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's something. So a, a good chunk of the job that I do professionally is auditing, and mm. uh, one of the things that talking about the guy. This is relevant to the guy going and not being prepared for the kind of perception that you get like when you're out there promoting the game being in you know in the media spotlight um in auditing what some people will tend to do is like so you're in a room an auditor asks you a question you answer the question the auditor doesn't say anything or maybe they just nod yeah and they'll wait and what you don't want to do is just start talking to fill the void because you'll just make things worse you might say something stupid. You might, like, confuse the issue. You might cause them to, like, think something that you said earlier was wrong, and then they'll dig deeper. And you you might not actually have anything wrong, but you'll create that perception because you're just nervously chatting. Um, yeah. So th there is a certain level of experience you need when you're out in that, in that public spotlight or when you're being scrutinized in some way, even if it's not public. Mm. Anyway. Little little side tangent. Yeah. Uh, what are we looking at? Should we go to another topic? Uh, I don't know. I, I think I've got, I've got a very small one. Okay. Yeah. Let's do one more then. Okay. I've been playing a uh, a demo. It's not a really fully released game yet, which absolutely kills me. I uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before. I really dislike demos. And hear me out. I do think demos are a very good, smart move by development companies to get feedback and to improve on what they have before they fully release a game. As a business, I think it's a brilliant idea. As an individual that plays these games, I hate it because I start really enjoying a game and then it's like, <laughs> and that's all you get. <laughs> That's the sign of a good demo, honestly. Uh, yeah, and it means, and and God knows, I will, you know, then follow that game when it gets released. I will certainly pick it up. Um, but God, it's so annoying. I've been playing a game this week called uh, Potion Permit, um, and it's all about. So you go out during the day, you gather materials. Uh, then you come back to the city, uh, into your laboratory, and doing a, a, a puzzle, a very simple puzzle game, you create potions which you can then use to cure people or just straight up sell on. I, you look puzzled. I, no, I'm just, I just realized as you're describing this, do you know the game Moonlighter? Uh, do you mean Moon... It might be Moonlighter. I think it's the, called The Moonlighter. game where you go into the dungeon... And then you yeah, come yeah. back out and you have a shop and you sell stuff. Yeah, I'm just thinking it, really it, the, game. the concept does sound kind of similar to that, except potions instead of there's an extra layer to it. Yeah, Moonlighter was, yeah, you're running a shop, whereas in this you're curing people. Um, I haven't played much into it yet. It's ve it feels a lot like it, it's, it's a cutesy anime pixel game, uh, which I feel like. It, for those people who... Ooh, oh, God, i got another big thing to talk about, but we can talk about that game in segment three. Okay. Um, 
for people who are not big into adrenaline fueled shooting games, this is one of the perfect games. Because yes, there are enemies to fight, but it is very basic enemies. And there's very... You don't... I, I've not died in it because it, it's always kind of difficult to die. It, it's kind of... The enemies are that easy. But um, it's a lot like Stardew Valley. Okay. Except when you get to the city, when you start out, instead of everyone being like, Oh, you're the new farmer person. Oh, that's great. Instead, it's like, Oh, you're one of those people from the city that fucked us over ten years ago. I'm not going to talk to you until you've helped the rest of the town a bit more. <laughs> oh, God. Um, uh, but you get this, the, you, you start the game with a, a big, uh, lolloping English sheepdog who follows you around everywhere. It's adorable. Very cute graphics. Um... You can skip a lot of the story if you want to, it seems like. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot for, for a demo. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I need to get back into... Well, I mean, the YouTube channel, like, <laughs> there's quite a few demos. The, the whole five-second attention span series started out with yeah reviewing demos. Um, those do sound like... I, Stardew Valley, you know, as much as I've played Stardew Valley... I've never actually finished the whole three-year cycle. Is it what happens after three years? I don't know. I think the game ends. Oh. I think the game only goes for three years, and oh, that makes me anxious. If I were to play it now, then I don't I, like that. <laughs> I'm. That's what I've heard. I but like I said, I've never beat the game. Yeah. I've I, the furthest I've gotten. I have a, a save on the Xbox where I've gotten up to year two. Hmm. Um. And it's it's going pretty well. I'm sure Mass has. Probably, yeah. That's a game that I, I I wish we'd done more co-op with it. Because the co-op... I did one co-op game. It was with Mass, me. Kevin, and Jake. Oh. Uh, there was there was one that was with us. And then we, we did the other one. It was you, me, and Mass. Um, but they, they always kind of died off. Because we couldn't sync everyone up being on at the same time. Really mm. well. And that's a game that you really need to sit down and put some hours into. Yeah. yeah, I'm not as young as I used to be. I can't be up at 3 a.m. every night. <laughs> God. I feel exhausted if I stay up until midnight. Yeah. But I've always, uh, always been more of an early riser anyway. All right. But, hey, we've got more games to talk about in segment three. We do. Uh, yeah, so in segment three, a couple little sneak preview um, going into there. This, they're a, a really well-polished Skyrim multiplayer mod has come out, which we plan to try out a little bit later. Um, I don't know if we'll try it out before we record segment three, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, look forward to that. In the meantime, um, you'll, do you have anything else to say? I'm going to keep mine secret, so people will have to listen in to find out what I'm going to be discussing. Fair enough. All right, this is going to be the end of segment one of the TMCJ podcast. Thank you all for listening, and you will hear us again momentarily for segment three. Welcome back to the TMCJ podcast. We're on segment three, our media segment. Wait, no, fuck, our wildcard segment. Fuck, what segment is it?
Hey, wildcard fans. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's something we can start off with, just as a quick aside. Do we want to start off with that? Probably not. No, let's move on. <laughs> what is your topic? Um, yeah, so I was going to talk about the fact that uh, we're, uh, we found out earlier this week, and by we, I mean Scott told us, that Skyrim now has a mod that supports multiplayer. So I don't know how much we've talked about this in the podcast previously, but you know, always been a big Elder Scrolls fan since I got Morrowind on the Xbox, um, and then obviously played the fuck out of Oblivion on the Xbox 360, and I have several versions of Skyrim because it came out on everything under the sun. And yeah. ever since I was in high school, like one of the the dreams was to play multiplayer more or multiplayer Morrowind. Yeah. Like, my friend would just bring his Xbox over to my house after school, and we would just play in the same room, and it was the closest we could get to it. And, of course, on the PC version, they had a multiplayer mod for Morrowind. We had a server going for a while. It was a lot of fun. We'd, I just left it running on my other desktop, and people could log in and do whatever. Um, and I ran into an issue where I forgot my router was on dynamic IP address, and it kept switching the IP. So once it switched the IP... <laughs> No one could log into the server anymore, and I didn't realize that. So it, we could start it up again, but that—that's you know. I, the past, my but... history with sorry. No, no, go ahead. My my Elder Scrolls history. I started by playing Oblivion, mm-hmm. and I fucking loved it. I loved it so much, and then uh, I was at school at the time, and Skyrim came out, and everyone's like. Oh, this is amazing new thing. It's incredible. It's blah, 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 blah. And as is often the case with me, hype kills a game faster than anything else for me. Uh, and that is not to say that Skyrim is a bad game. Skyrim is not a bad game, and I did enjoy it. But I didn't enjoy it as much as Oblivion. I didn't care for it being spread around and people saying that it was the hottest shit since sliced bread. And it was kind of, a, excluding the DLC where you go to the Isles of, um, that's Oblivion of, of Slugland. Oh, oh, oh you're, I, you're thinking yeah, the Morrowind you, one, yeah. Uh huh. So there's you go to the the setting. I'm not of, talking about the Isles of Madness from Oblivion. I'm talking I about know. the one from Skyrim. Yeah, the one from Skyrim where you go to the... Like, you go to Vanderfell, the, the island where Morrowind takes place. Yeah, Greyland, where all the enemies are grey and the monsters are... The places are grey and people are just boring to talk to. And there's dragons, but they're not very interesting dragons. Uh, but that was challenging. That was mm. the level of challenge I wanted throughout the whole game. And just didn't... It wasn't yeah. present. There's... I, I agree with you, Skyrim. So... In terms of like depth of mechanics and like gameplay, Morrowind has the other two beat hands down. Oblivion like struck a bit of a balance. They simplified a few things in Morrowind. They they capped some of the more ridiculous stuff you could do in terms of creativity, but it still had that that kind of feel to it. Skyrim took long strides in becoming much more of an action game, which is why when I got it on the PC. Um, that really reinvigorated me playing it because I could mod the fuck out of it. Like, I could mod it so it actually had that same depth of mechanics that you got out of Oblivion or Morrowind. 
you could mod it so that you know, you were it, it actually had that level of complexity that I wanted at an El Elder Scrolls game and not like the kind of casual action game that it sort of had become. Yeah. Uh, we we've kind of gotten a little off topic here, so just just to yeah, sorry. Uh, bring it back. <laughs> There is a very well done, from the looks of things, we haven't tried it yet, multiplayer mod for Skyrim called Skyrim Together Beyond, I think, or Reborn. Skyrim Together Reborn. That's what oh, it that's is. That's a bunch of catch words that are just shitty, stuck together. <laughs> well, Skyrim Together was the original mod, but it was apparently very difficult to use and a bit glitchy. They yeah. redid the mod from the ground up and made Skyrim Together Reborn, which is what's out there now. Uh, so I spent a good chunk of this morning uh, figuring it out, setting up the port forwarding, uh, getting the server all configured and ready to go, and um, installing the right version of Skyrim, because it has to be done with the uh, Enhanced Edition. Yeah. Which, it's fine. The, the Enhanced Edition, if you owned Skyrim, you got it for free, so that's no issue. And now the next thing is just to test it. But it looked really good, because there's a party system in the game, so... You can party up, and it's got like a multiplayer thing where you can see everyone's health bar up in the top corner of the screen. Um, the way it functions is you've got one person who's the party leader, and they have to stay the party leader because it's you, their quests that you're doing. Mm. So the other party members can be changed in and out, but the party leader has to be always the same person. Otherwise, it screws with the scripting of the quests. Um, so yeah, look forward to seeing We Were Here, Elder Scrolls. Uh, <laughs> and you can play it with mods, I found out, but everyone has everyone to have the same yeah. yeah, same mods, and they need to be enforced from the server side. So I, I was looking this up. I have to actually create a write-up, a text document, um, and put that into the Skyrim Together Reborn folder that tells everyone else's iteration of the game what order to load the mods in. Um, otherwise, it, it screws everything up. But yeah. even that seemed pretty simple. The thing that made it... It probably would have taken me 10 or 15 minutes to set everything up this morning, but it actually took an hour for me, because, and that was my own damn fault, because I... My Skyrim... I have a bunch of different hard drives on my computer, and my Skyrim is not in the same location as my downloads folder, is not in the same location as my mod manager folder. And so once yeah. I got all that sorted out, then it was able to work. But Problem being, mm. don't you think it's just going to be a worse version of Elder Scrolls Online? I would argue a better version of it, because I did not like that game. Why didn't you like the game? Because it's an MMO, and I generally don't like MMOs. Okay. Because MMOs are Was designed... Was the other players? The, I, I, no, I, I like... The multiplayer part of MMOs is what I like. The problem yeah. I don't like is the massively online parts, which is where they focus a lot on grind. They necessarily have to dumb down the quest because there's now billions of yahoos running around. Um, there are this, tons of the same quest. Yeah, this seems much more like... You're, you're a party. It, it seems much more like a and d kind of experience where you've got a party of adventurers. You're going out to do quests together. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, the, the problem I have with Elder Scrolls Online, I love the dungeon. I love the dungeon running with Scott and Mass and, uh, and you, actually. Yeah, I was um, there, too. Yeah. And early part of the game is a lot of fun leveling up and stuff. But late game, 
you're right. There was so much content in the game, but 90% of that content was the same mission of go to this place, fight this enemy, return to this place. And there was a very real moment where you realize, hang on a second, this feels like a cookie clicker, essentially. This is what this has become. It's a cookie clicker. And I feel Um, like a good chunk of MMOs devolve into that. Um, yeah, it's rare that you find the ones that don't. Like RuneScape. <laughs> well, Honestly, I, the quests on RuneScape would blow your fucking mind. They're so hard. I enjoyed um, <laughs> Final Fantasy XIV. I mean, we we had some fun with that one. Yeah, there, I mean, there were well, did some. You, I didn't think you did enjoy it all that much. <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. I just okay. I can't. I I don't like grinding. So that's mm. why, like, I I would play it in like short bursts. I wouldn't play it for like long periods of time or every day because i knew i know myself well enough to know that i would burn out on the game if i did that well your, your favorite part and also dare i say it the, the dying cry of it of the game for you was when i was like kaiser there's a mount in this game it's really cool it's a sweet looking car that can fly and so we spent like a week yep. pushing you through the story as fast as we possibly could and then you got it and you're like great now i've got the best mount of the game I have no more reason to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, before I actually earned the mount, one of my favorite things in the game, because you already had the car, yeah. was the fact that I could get in the back seat. So your yeah. character's driving around, sure and my really. character's just chilled out in the back, arms over the, the... And we're just flying around. I loved that part of the game. Yeah. Um, well, that's not part of the game. <laughs> that's... This is what... This goes back to my complicated relationship with MMOs in general, because... My, fa- my favorite part of them always ends up being something that's not really part of the game, not part of the core concept. Yeah. So, Elder Scrolls Online, one of my favorite things we ever did in that game was getting Scott's horse up in a tree. Yeah. Um, uh, an MMO that I played on the Xbox 360, Fantasy Star Universe. Played a lot of that game, but one of my favorite things to do in that game was everyone had their own little room, and you could decorate it and put, like, interactable things in there. was literally just chilling out in the room of one of my friends who had a shop open and harassing his customers as they came in. Like, right. That, that was just a lot of fun to me. But again, it's not part of the core concept of the game. Yeah. Do you remember Rust? I do. That's the game with all the penises. I mean, there's female characters as well. <laughs> it's just... The, 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 Interesting that you remember all the penises and nothing else. <laughs> when it, it's rare for a game to have male full frontal nudity, and Rust did. I think it's rare for a game to have female full I, frontal nudity. Th- that's a f- that's a fair point. It's rare for a game to have full frontal nudity below the waist in general, and yeah, Rust and, did. Yeah. So um, I just remember that. But no, I was, I was referring more to the fact that you could like set up a second life kind of thing in that game as opposed to. Yeah. I mean, people did that with uh, Ark Survival Evolved servers as well, where they'd have whole communities and tribes yeah. and they would build civilizations. I hate Ark with a passion. Yeah. I really do. Like, the fact that you have to basically hack the game in order to not get dicked so hard by it that you just want to fucking I enjoyed do things the... that aren't friendly to Twitch or YouTube. <laughs> I enjoyed the, like, the brief uh, period of time that we played that. Did we play it? 
Uh, fairly recently, yeah. Uh, well, I maybe wasn't included in that you one. probably. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was it was Joey, Scott, and Mass mostly, and I joined for a bit. Yeah. Um, but then, what, I mean, they, they changed it so that they could instantly tame animals once they had got them to a certain point, as opposed to normally, you would literally have to sit next to an animal for hours and defend it from other random fucking animals trying to kill it while it's knocked out. And slowly feed it berries over time. That's how you tame shit. Yeah. And I... I can see the appeal to that. Because there's... It, it's one of those things where, it, like, it feels valuable to, like... Yeah, it's the same burning, reason that, yeah. It's the same reason that people enjoy playing games like Dark Souls. Because it's really fucking hard. And then once you actually get that feeling of, like, ah, oh, I've, I've conquered it, I've beat it. But it's not hard, it's boring. It's sitting next to an unconscious dinosaur for hours of your life, so you can finally fucking tame it, and then the next day, while you're off taking a piss, a primal feraligator comes out of the woods and fucking teabags him. And you come back to a dead pet that you'd named, you'd given a special paint job to, and it's dead and gone, and you're never gonna see it again. And fuck you, player. Why are you playing our game? I, I personally agree with you, but there is the kind of psychopath that enjoys that sort of thing. Like people, people will play these like. Oh god! Oh god! I just dropped my pen. Um, like they're they're cookie clicker. I mean, people play cookie clicker games. People played Farmville. Like there are people who play these kinds of like people play truck simulator or whatever it is whoa whoa you're getting a bit close to insulting me now <laughs> <laughs> i'm just trying to put it in per- perspective because no. that's something that i find tremendously boring but people play it and enjoy it i don't think you in simulated games i don't think you enjoy it you get satisfaction out of it playing um you played house flipper that's a simulator game yep you don't really enjoy it but you get a definitely get a sense of satisfaction when you do a really fucking good job. Yeah. Same thing with, like, Viscera Cleanup Detail. Viscera Cleanup Detail is the big one, yeah. Um, I forgot what I was going to say, but yeah. But there is a certain level of, of satisfaction that goes along with that sort of thing, and I'm saying that this game, in, the, in Ark in its original form, it does kind of um, lend itself to that same sort of mindset. It's it's a bit more hardcore. You're right. There's there's a lot more opportunity to get dicked over. Yeah. But I think it appeals to that same sort of you know, desire for for satisfaction for doing a job well done and putting in that much effort. It's these people that come across and they're like, "What we need in the gaming industry is an incredibly realistic version of this thing that already happens in real life. Incredibly realistic, down to the T." And no. In the words of um, the Blizzard Diablo development team, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Granted, they're idiots and they were probably wrong, but th- you don't want when you're playing a fighting game. Let's say you're playing Call of Duty. You don't want to be there being like, okay, I have to go down to the store now to buy the bullets, and I have to manually load them into the magazines, and when I run out of bullets. I have to either get the fuck out of the area somehow or just stop thumbing bullets into my magazine. I do think that the, the pursuit of realism has gone way too far. Um, 
it's something I, I agree. Like, video games don't need to be a perfect amalgam of real life. Like, it, it can... It, or, sorry, a perfect facsimile of real life. It, it just... They, they need to be fun, first and foremost. And I, I, I agree that they, they go to... It's one of the reasons that I've never really gotten as into, like, the super realistic shooter. I, I like playing FPS, mm. but I don't like playing games like Arma 2, for instance. No, because that's kind of the kind of thing I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah, I, I like playing games like Halo, which are more over-the-top arena shooters, where, like, you, you don't just die in one shot. You have a regenerating shield. You've got, like, the, the weapons aren't hyper-realistic. You can drop half a magazine, and you'll still have the same number of bullets. And little things that make the game, they're not realistic, but they make the game fun. And, and this is where you get a certain... This is, I think, where you get that level of... You know when people say, oh... Games make children violent. Games don't make children violent. But I do think that in the games where it's trying to be hyper-realistic, that people do think to themselves, okay, now I could actually do this in real life because I've got such a good simulator of this game that I feel like I'm actually intelligent enough to speak to someone on a real-world level about this thing and I'm going to put accolades on myself to say that I did things that I'm not qualified for. Yeah. And that's the dangerous part of it, I think. A guy with a thousand hours in Microsoft Flight Simulator just pulls up a plane. Because you've never seen someone on Overwatch go, oh yes, I'm a master tactician. <laughs> There's probably somebody out there. I, I highly doubt based on... The, but if, you, if you're playing Armour, for example, you know there are going to be people who are like, start only using call signs and things in real life and saying yeah oh let's talk politics real world politics about the military in america why don't we have more a10 warthogs okay. um i've and shit like that well a perfect example of this though and because this is something i encountered myself i love using a shotgun in video games yep i actually own a shotgun there is yeah. n there's practically no equivalence to firing a shotgun in a video game to firing a shotgun in real life. First no. of all, you don't understand the kind of recoil you get with the different types of bullets. The first time I fired a slug out of my shotgun... Uh, which... Technically, that shells from a uh, shotgun, you imbecile. No, I've been playing Overwatch for two years, you idiot! <laughs> in it, so the, sh the shell is what the shotgun like bullet is loaded into. When I say a slug... It's a literal, it's just a big round ball oh, that's yeah. in the shell. Yeah. It's got a heavy powder charge because it's got to actually, you know, fire that ball. A slug's normally armor piercing, isn't it? It's it's like wall piercing. These, it's a, yeah. it's a very powerful uh, round. Anyway, so powerful that the first time I fired it, I bruised my shoulder from the recoil because I just wasn't ready for it. Mm. Um other stuff like birdshot and buckshot, there's there's much less recoil. But the what way you see people in like video games just casually firing shotguns as they're sprinting around, mm. no, just fucking no. There's um, uh, the way I think of of shotguns with slugs is basically what you have is a sawed-off sniper rifle. <laughs> That's kind of how I think about it. Not not the same. Well, it depends on how long the barrel is, but yeah. Um, so the. This is from a, a long time ago um, when I went up to my cousin's place and we were blowing away fidget spinners with shotguns. Yeah. Um, 
I tried firing a slug and I missed the fidget spinner, but I hit the log the fidget spinner was um, sitting on. It just obliterated yeah. it. There just wasn't a log left. Jesus. Like it, it just chunked the whole thing into pieces. Yeah. Like they're, they're very powerful ones. Anyway, don't want to get too deep into that rabbit hole. But yeah, they, I think there's, there's, there are people who like they get into playing. There are some things though I think that realism can be a lot of fun with. Like the economy management kind of games, or like the civilization building kind of games. Like realism in terms of how you manage the dynamics of like a uh, of an economy or of like an empire or of like a country. I feel like that's one where pursuing more realism can be fun as well. Let's. I, I'm gonna take it slightly back to something I mentioned before. Hmm. You're talking about economy simulators. As you know, and we've talked about this previously on podcasts, RuneScape has essentially a stock market. Yeah. Uh, called the Grand Exchange, where it's just a hub where anyone can buy or sell things. That is very, very interesting to me, because market prices change all the time on that. The difference is that on RuneScape... It's very much easy to tell that it is an interpretation of something from real life, and it is not real life. Yeah. There are some economy games where I think people could be fooled into thinking, wow, I'm good at this game, I should start buying stocks in real life. Yeah, I mean, there's some basic principles that you can like take. I, I do think that not not the way those games function themselves, but the mindset you put yourself in. Yeah. In terms, like, so one thing that's helped me, I actually credit a lot of my thinking in terms of, like, managing money and investing in things. I credit to StarCraft. Right. Because StarCraft... Not enough minerals. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Because StarCraft, like, if competitive StarCraft teaches you that you have to use the resources you have to build up more resources and build up more resources, yeah. and you, you, you don't just sit on your money because you'll lose the game. Speculate to accumulate. Yeah, you, you go out and you make good investments that then grows more money that you can then use to do what you want. And in StarCraft, that means building an army and kicking your opponent's ass. In mm -hmm. real life, that means, you know, what I'm doing now, buying a house. Um but I, I think building that, a private army and you know <laughs> hey who knows i think that that's that's the sort of like that's the distinction people need to realize like with realism like if you're playing a game there are things you can learn from it concepts there's ways you can train your mind to think about things that are, apply to real life but it's important to realize that they aren't real life yeah and it's never going to be a one-to-one -one match um or at least hopefully not who knows maybe we'll all get plugged into the matrix at some point yeah and also, I think it could all be fixed by just by having as realistic games you like, but having non-realistic graphics. I think that pretty much solves the problem. I'm sorry, I'm just thinking of... Um, I think we're talking about economy stuff. Yeah. And realistic, but non-realistic graphics. I'm like, that's just Microsoft Excel. But like, imagine, imagine playing Armor. Right, it's a very serious game, and you—it's quite close to real life. Yeah, just let's, make all the soldiers yeah. into cat girls. Exactly. Have fucking furries running across the field at you, and I guarantee that people are not going to be like, 
I'm a real tactician now. <laughs> I know how to load a weapon. Or if they are, then they're psychopaths and they need locking up. Though with VR, um, I know we played a few of them. There's a couple simulation games that are fairly, in terms of like gun games, there's some fairly realistic ones that do accurately represent, you know, different weapons. And those, I think, could be... VR is different, though. It's 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 much more in a good, like, tool for, like, you know, learning stuff like that. Yeah, I think... So, we're talking about Pavlov. Yeah. Um, it's realistic, but it's so close to... CSGO. CSGO. Um, I still don't think it's... I still don't think it actually looks realistic. It doesn't, but um, a couple of the mechanics for how you handle uh, weapons are, are fairly yeah, how close you, to, yeah. Yeah. Um, how, the way that you reload a drum mag, for example, is specific to that gun. Mm. You don't reload in the same way that you would a shotgun on that game. Yeah. Um, and Payday 2... The, I would say... You do get a bit of a chill in that you are walking around and other humanoid-shaped people are also walking around and you're interacting with them. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you just click a button to reload on that, which I'm perfectly fine with. There's, there's a, a few... Just another example that I'm thinking of now that we're talking about VR. I talked about that game Hollow Point on the podcast last time. Yeah. Which is a VR bow and arrow game. Hmm. Um, I, I've actually shot a bow and arrow in real life. Um, it's, it's really difficult. It's also fucking yeah. terrifying because you have to like pull the string, like right up to your cheek to fire accurately. And I'm always afraid I'm going to like take my nose off or something if I don't yeah. aim it right. But it's like, Hey, it's a really, really hard pull. I think, yeah, I mean, in games you walk around with the bow drawn ready to shoot someone Yeah. in real life. You're like, no. This is really hard to hold. <laughs> Especially, it depends on the bow. Like, I was using just a normal bow, so it had like a, I think it was like a 30 or 40 pound draw. Um, right. Long bows have like a 70 pound draw, or yeah. it might be more than that. And then then there's also like composite, or uh, composite. They, comp no, is it composite? It's the ones that have the little wheels on the top yeah. and bottom. So they have a really hard draw, but then after you pull back, it becomes suddenly very easy. Those you can hold for a lot longer because it requires less force. Yeah. But it's still an effort to, you know, hold for that period of time. Oh, how did we get here? <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> we started talking off. We were talking about Skyrim. <laughs> how did we get onto having a podcast and being like ninety-two episodes in? <laughs> that's. A, I mean, that's a good point. Where? Yeah. Oh God. God! Do you remember back in the rainbow days? I feel like Rainbow marked the beginning of it. There's a very particular mission I remember us doing. It wasn't a mission. It was just a random session we were doing. It was on the Brazil map. Mm. And I was outside like a window. We were attacking on that round. Mm. I don't know why. It's just one of those memories that get associated with, in this case, the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, Rainbow Six Siege. Oh, yeah. God. I, that game was a lot of fun. What, do you, I don't know if you remember, um, this This is a video on the YouTube channel somewhere, it's like a, a short one, where we were playing on that uh, um, competitive like soccer stadium map. Oh yeah. Did. 
Yeah. And like we're we're dri- <laughs> just driving the drone around, and um, we both just in in perfect synchronicity started singing the because I got high because I got high. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> funny moments that stick with your mind. Anyway, so I that was all my topic. What was yours? Did I have one? Oh, I did. Yeah, oh my god, did. I totally forgot I had one. Well, let's let's, so, let's go through yours and we can wrap it up there. I have. I was in. Uh, okay, bit of pre-story. Mm. Uh, me and Vampy, uh, we had a nice meal the other weekend, and occasionally we'll drop by the secondhand. Well, no, not even secondhand. The the game store. Mm. that's uh, local and have a look for Wii games because Wii games are now criminally cheap and honestly they're pretty much the same as the games that are coming out today (laughs) just with worse graphics Uh, and we're looking around there and we we always look at the Switch section as well just for the seeing what's kind of available happening and we found a pre-owned version of uh, Pokemon Snap for £27, which is about 40% off. Um, And I was looking at other games, I was kind of just pointing out games on the shelf that I was like, oh, this this game's kind of cool, and explaining a little bit about it, and then going on to the next game. And I turned around at the end, and I realised that Vampy was still holding the case for Pokemon Snap, (laughs) and I was like... You want to buy that game, don't you? <laughs> uh, so we've been playing Pokemon Snap. Um, now, I was initially dubious because I think reviewers online have typically said that it's a boring game where not much happens. Which, uh, I mean, that's that's the game. You take it's, pictures. It's, it's a game where you, yes, you, you go on a safari kind of tour and you take pictures of Pokemon as you go. Um, having played it now, I think that they were... I, I don't think they're wrong. I think they're coming at the reviewing process from a very different angle, though, from a lot of people that enjoy games. That is to say, uh, the reviewers I listen to primarily pl- play games that give a a challenge, mm. and B, the fairly high-octane adrenaline-fuels gaming. Yeah. I think those are the two primary aspects of the people that reviewed them. And I don't think either of those qualities apply to Pokemon Snap. No. What I do think applies massively to Pokemon Snap is anyone that enjoys playing phone games. I... Go on. No, I just I was gonna finish finish your thought. I don't personally play phone games, but I still really am enjoying Pokemon Snap because it's like we talked about earlier, a simulator esque game, hmm. um, and it, it it's it's got a surprising amount of content. There is quite a bit of grinding in it, I will say, which is. Yeah kind of odd um but when you get like when you're you're doing a, a map let's say for the fourth or fifth time and you're like oh there's this pokemon that i never knew was there but if i use if i throw a fruit into a hole 
then it, a Pokemon appears. And there's also some really fucking funny moments. There's a part where, this is slight spoilers, where you can shrink yourself down and go into like a tree foresty nature path area. And you're going through this log, and one of the exits to the log has just a giant Bidoof's ass just <laughs> sticking into the log. And it's bloody hilarious. Um, you see, like, miniature stories being told where uh, a Doe Trio is bullying a Pikachu and a the fire rabbit thing. And by the end of the journey, a Torterra scares off the Doe Trio. And you're trying to get the best pictures. It's just very satisfying. So, what I was going to, to say earlier. So, I, I haven't played the Switch one. But the reason I'm kind yeah. of like nodding along with this, I played the N64 one and played yeah. it quite a bit. Yeah, beat it a few times. They did the same thing. It's good to hear what you just said because that was kind of the essence of the original one. You're kind of on this guided safari tour going down some rails, but you could interact with the environment. You could find secret stuff. Like if you throw like they, they had these things that would annoy the Pokemon or these, you know, you could throw an apple. So one would come over and like eat the yeah. apple and then pose in a, an interesting way. Yeah, do a little dance. There were secrets like in in like a grassy area. If you threw one of the annoying things at that specific spot in the grass, a scyther would fly up, and you'd get a special shot. Mm -hmm. um, and if you did all of these very specific things, there was a secret where you could get a, a secret final level where you saw Mew, and you could take uh -huh. pictures of him. Um, there were these, yeah, but all the different levels had different ways you could get a Moltres if you hit all of these very specific things in in this lava level at one point and so there, there was it's good to hear that they kept the essence of the game because that's what you it wasn't a very long game the n64 one mm. and again like you said not a very action-oriented game no i it was almost like a puzzle thing it was like oh i just i'm gonna experiment and try all these different things and then depending on what i do um, I get rewarded by finding the secret Pokemon. And I get a lot of points for the picture that I get for that Pokemon doing this specific thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm there are also boss levels. I don't know if they were in the original N64 version. Not like their own levels, but there were sort of like... I don't know if you'd even call it a boss, but... Like when I'm talking about Mew and Moltres, and the only thing mm. that was a level dedicated to one Pokemon was the Mew level. Yeah. Okay. So you get them sort of dotted throughout, and they're what I'm calling the boss levels. The first one is like, um, what's the the giant f like Diplodocus plant? Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I I, I might. What's Diplodocus? It looks like a. Uh, you don't know what Diplodocus is? No. The oh no, sorry, I'm thinking of uh, is it Brontosaurus I'm thinking of? Hang on, one second. <laughs> Blue's looking something up. Uh, Dragonite. Brontosaurus was what I meant. Okay. Um, what's the Diplodocus? What, what is it, Diplodocus? Oh no, Diplodocus is what I was thinking of. Look up Diplodocus while I'm talking. Okay. Um, and he's just kind of he's just kind of wandering on his own, you know, trying to take all these special shots to him. He leans down to eat something and then he gets a special effect on him and you're trying to snap the perfect moment. Um, the, But one of them, it's in the fire volcano level 
and you're facing the boss there, and it's actually got like intense boss action music. And okay, it has like a fiery shield which you can only knock off by throwing apples at it. Repeat it. Don't ask about the logic. All right, you're it... throwing apples to power a fire. <laughs> okay, um, so what you're talking about? Then I, I will say that they seem to have like um uh evolved the concept in the or- original game because they had something similar in that mm. so like the mew level only if you had done certain actions he had a shield and every time you took a picture of him he was just a glowing ball unless you yeah. did some very specific things then you could see him that's um, exactly how it was for the fire one and then some of the other levels like there were certain pokemon you had to do things throughout the whole level and if you did them right that pokemon would show up there were also secret yeah. levels that if you did things in a specific order you'd go into them so it sounds like they evolved on that concept and kind of did it a little bit more often and a little bit more in depth in yeah. this version. One for each realm. Yeah, um, that's pretty cool though. I, I may I may pick that up for the Switch then because I, I really Pokemon Snap was a very chill, relaxing kind of game, mm. and that's that's something that's a lot of what I use the Switch for now is just games where I just end of a work day chill back on my couch i got the controller slumped over and just play something quick before bed right yeah yeah it's, it's perfect for that kind of game it's a very a wind down game yeah but yeah i'm glad that was a, th- there's not much to talk about about no, there isn't. it's just a really good chill game well i think the, um, the the big thing to talk about which we already covered was how it compared to the original I thought you were going to say Bidoof Sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have... I think I actually have the original Pokemon Snap on for the, the N64 cartridge at home. Because I, I rented it originally, but I think eventually I did end up buying it. What? Uh, sorry. I was just going to say, a lot of my N64 games I got because like when the rental store, like after a while, they would sell games that had been rented for a long time. I think yeah. that's where I got my co- copy of Pokemon Snap. Like, I rented it for a while, and then when they were getting rid of it, I bought it for, like, ten bucks. Gotcha. Um, but yeah. Did they have a thing in the original one where if you played a level and you got lots of really good photos, you'd get enough XP on that level to uh, upgrade that level? You did get stuff for getting a ton of good photos. I can't remember what exactly. Okay. I think you you. Oh, it's been so long since I played it. I can't that, remember. That, that's kind of how they add um, more content to the game as you play it. Because if you play a level for the first time, the level starts at level one, and let's say you got uh, like some four a four star picture and mm-hmm. some other really good pictures. Then the next time you play it, it'd be level two, and different events would be happening on that level. I don't remember if they did that in the original. I know they okay. the levels would change based on what you did as you went through them, and I yeah. know that they had an XP system for like how good your photos were in a given level, and that was used to unlock something. But I can't remember if it was just unlocking the next level, or if it did something to the, the level previously. Or maybe you unlocked new items. It, it's been so many years since I played it that I'm, I'm not positive. But they did have an XP mechanic, and they did have, you know, something that you unlocked with it. I just can't remember what. 
Mm. Yeah. All right. That's it. Well, this has been this has been like I feel like we had we basically had two or two to four topics and we kind of spiraled into these long tangents with all of them in both segments. Like we never do that normally. <laughs> oh god. It's fun to do that though. True. I think that's that's our brand at this point getting completely off topic. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um this is going to be the end of episode 91 of the TMCJ podcast. Is Thank it you all. It was 91. Yeah. I thought we already had 91. Jesus. All right. Sorry, Kurt. 90 was last week. You're making me second guess myself now, though. I'm looking back at, I'm looking back <laughs> at my notes. No, this is episode 91. Okay. I'm positive. Okay, okay. I was right. This is going to be the end of episode 91 of the TMCJ podcast. Thank you all for listening. And you will hear us again in two weeks for episode 92. Scroll.